son tornata a ti, mia cara Venezia, e al ciaro della luna. We're back in bowls in the city that shouldn't exist, Venice, right next to the famous Rialto Bridge. It's amazing, life is good. I got my buddy here, a close friend from a long time ago. He was actually on the podcast a while ago, talking about affirmations, but he came from Washington, D.C. to visit me. We've had about a week in Italy. He was in Rome, we met in Florence, went to the coast, Pisa, Bologna, and now Venice to finish the trip. It's been fun, it's been interesting, but we're gonna have a good little conversation here. Me and Johnny have good talks about deep topics. He's uh, about to be a med student. He worked as a neuroscientist. Um, he's quite interesting, but hey, Johnny, first of all, how is Italy? Italy is a fucking dream and a half. I, um, I've traveled a decent amount, so been to South America, been to Asia, went to Norway, my family's Norwegian, and Italy to me is the perfect blend of every travel experience I've had. I was telling uh, Nikki earlier this week, it's like... You call me Nikki? I'm... You call me Nikki? Nikki, Nikki. I was telling Nick earlier this uh, earlier this week. It's like the perfect blend of foreign foreign experience and what you're used to. So when you travel, like I went to China and it was like being on fucking Mars. Like everything is different. The culture is so different. People are looking at you all day. Like they're just kind of looking at you because you're white and everyone else looks very similar in China. Whereas here, uh, whereas in Norway, where I've been, um, I, I was there for uh, 10 days. That's like a, very similar to what I grew up with. And, and this is like the perfect blend of everything. So it's been amazing. I've seen so many beautiful cities, so many beautiful women, uh, so many beautiful uh, uh, experiences, food. food and, and I'm going to be sad to leave for sure. No, it's been a great time. You remind me of me when I first came to Italy and just uh just looking around it's like what the hell this place is something else i love it it is amazing but let's get into these topic topic topics on hand we've been drinking a lot of spritz drinking a lot of vino so it's gonna be a fun one if we don't finish it here we're gonna go on zoom and finish it but neuroscience johnny i love affirmations i love manifestation i love the brain how powerful it is but you actually study what the hell goes on in there. I honestly don't think scientists knows what is going on in our brain, but give me an idea what's going on with that neuroscience. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's just dive into my background just a little bit here. Um, so I started out uh, with college as a psychology major, and two years in, I told myself, you know, this is great, but I want to know more about what's going on in the biology of everything. And so I, I jumped into a major in, a double major in uh, neuroscience and and uh, I was taking chemistry with, with freshmen, right? So I, it, was, it was a little scary. But, and then I uh, wanted to go to medical school and I kind of made that switch while I was in that same period. Now I've been working at the National Institutes of Health for the past three years uh, in neuroimaging. And so, there's a lot of different types of neuroimaging. Um, you can look at the entire brain. You can look at something called the cerebral cortex, which is where a lot of the higher order processing happens. And what I'm specifically interested in is motor control. So something that's super interesting is 
humans are among the uh, humans and some higher order primates, chimpanzees, etc., are among the only mammals that can watch something else, another uh, another member of their species commit an act and learn from it. So if a rodent watches another rodent burn themselves on a fryer, they don't know. But babies, humans, uh, chimpanzees, if they burn themselves in a fryer, they can learn from that. So we're really interested in that in my, in my current research project and um, how human beings learn. I'm, I'm interested in child development, how children learn across the lifespan. But when it comes to the brain itself, like we know a lot of what the individual pieces do. Like, so we have five areas of the cerebral cortex, um, the frontal lobe, the, uh, the uh, parietal lobe, the occipital lobe, the temporal lobe, and then we also have this region called the central sulcus, which is where motor and sensory motor happens. So we have an idea of what each of these regions do, right? Frontal is all about working memory, doing math, uh, understanding other people. Temporal is about speech and social. And then uh, parietal is about um, kind of integrating a lot of different things. And occipital is where sight happens. And what the interesting thing is about occipital is it's all the way at the back of the brain. So your sight happens at the front of your brain, and then what? And then you observe it, and then it goes all the way to your back of the brain. You process it, and it goes back to the front of the brain in the frontal. So we know what these individual pieces do, but we have no idea about, or we have a limited idea about how they integrate with one another. And this is what I like about you is you study all this stuff, you know, researching neuroscience, like working in labs and all that kind of stuff, but you're still open to the, the things I talk about all the time, what the metaphysical and uh, simulation and, and hacking into the matrix and, and whatnot. So what do we have on this list here? Let's get after it. First of all, you were on the Affirmations podcast about two years ago with uh, Brahim. I know you did the Affirmations for a while. You had the crazy medical uh, score thing on your one of those tests. What do you think about affirmations? So I think it's really important to separate the biological from the behavioral and then also integrate them together. So it's like we have these biological processes, right? Like we have this communication between the brain. We know how different things are occurring. Um, we know how our thoughts some somewhat uh, are produced, but then also like we have the behavioral, right? Like how do you act on an individual basis? And these are two different fields in neuroscience and psychology. So we can observe the behavioral, right? Like how does someone perform on an IQ test or how does someone perform on a, um, on a uh, test about looking at learning, social learning. But then we can also do the neuroscience aspect, the biological aspect, what areas of the brain are active? That's what my research is interested in. When it comes to affirmations, we don't know uh, how much of a positive mindset actually has a power on the brain, but we can observe like there is a scientific field dedicated to positive psychology. And what There's been studies, hasn't there? I, it depends. It depends. And like a lot of this research, I highly recommend the book. It's called um, The Quick Fix by Jesse Single, where you can kind of look into behavioral science has been wildly exaggerated in a lot of different areas. And then we have these ideas of like, People see this headline and then they think, oh, that's meaningful, that's whatever. But then when you actually look at the statistics and the p-values and you read the actual papers, they're not what you thought they were. That being said, there is a very positive impact on the brain and you can change the brain when it comes to uh, more optimistic people. Meditation, and, they've done studies exactly. changing the brain on that. 
I was just going to get to that. So uh, at Wisconsin, where, where I went to school, giant scientist name is Richie Davidson. He did really cool work with a lot of Buddhists from Tibet, lifelong meditators, and looked at brain uh, differences between lifelong meditators and non-meditators. And you can just see these areas of the brain that are higher active that might be more adaptive in this world. Adaptive means better. Adaptive is important because it's like, are you better adaptive for stress? Are you more capable of dealing with resiliency, etc.? Whereas uh, less adaptive people uh, who don't meditate, etc., they have a higher reaction in certain areas, like especially the amygdala, right? So people who don't meditate, their amygdala, this area that's really angry, really emotional, sometimes sad, is higher active than in people who don't meditate. So that's one small example of like this world. Okay, so the amygdala, how do you say it? Amygdala, amygdala. Is that similar to the reptilian brain? Because that's something I'm very interested in. The flight or flight, fight or flight. Jeez, too many spritz. Um, that's the original brain of the humans, right? And that affects a lot of different things. We got to eat, we got to sleep, we got to have sex. A lot of things go in that reptilian brain, right? Yeah, correct. So, so let's just, let's break this down scientifically really quick. Hopefully I don't bore you too much from your... 101 biology lesson, but the human brain is super interesting because we have, I want, we have basically three parts. We have the cerebellum, the basal ganglia, and the cerebral cortex. Cerebellum, basal ganglia, cerebral cortex. Basal ganglia is what you're talking about. So it's got the amygdala, it's got the um, abdullah obligata. It's called, we, it's in Latin, it means basement. Basal ganglia, the basement brain, basically. And so that's what uh, a lot of this has been built on. And so when it comes to mammals and like rodents, uh, uh, which is where we do a lot of this biomedical research from, especially primates and then mainly humans, we have these giant cerebral cortices, cortices, which are where a lot of this higher order processing is happening. So I want to say that humans, even though they don't have the biggest brains in the animal kingdom, they have the most neurons per weight in the animal kingdom, but I might be wrong. Dolphins are close. Dolphins also have huge brains. Regardless, when it comes to reptilian, yes, a lot of this stuff is driven by our most natural needs, right? Eating, sleeping, fucking, that stuff is part of this lower order processy, but they communicate a lot with the higher order processy, which is why a lot of human beings um, have this consciousness, which we know very little about from neuroscience, right? What the fuck is the thought in my brain? The thought I'm thinking right now, we have no idea where that comes from. What part of the brain is it, etc. But it might be, be, it's communicating with some of this lower order processing of, I need to eat, I need to sleep, etc. See, that's a big thing I love trying to figure out and talk about is the conscious brain and the subconscious. Where the hell is our subconscious um, in this process here from, from what we know because i don't think we know anything about it yeah definitely i want to I, I really want to eliminate the the pop culture psychology subconsciousness phrase from the vernacular so i think saying conscious and subconscious is and i've heard you use it in bold perceptions i think it's a it's a nice heuristic we say heuristic means like a shortcut but we're really not processing a lot of information that way like it's in like oh i see a image flash on a screen that says coca-cola buy coca-cola and it's gone it's not being processed by my subconscious instead instead what we should call it is lower order processing which is 
more so like um, what am I absorbing in my environment and what does how am I interacting with that so like I was telling I was telling this person who was saying uh, oh we only use five percent of our brain and it's like that's not true that's a myth we use a hundred percent of our brain it's just we're only really aware of a small percentage of it right like when I when I have the impulse to reach out and grasp my drink and sip it towards my mouth as I'm about to do right now you know <laughs> that's uh that's that might not be requiring all of my frontal cortex it, and instead you asked me to count down from sevens from the number 100 93 uh, 84 etc you know but it's still requiring the use of our brain let's get back to um, that subconscious idea and etc like what I'm trying to say is that it's it's a limited idea that we have two parts of the brain that are subconscious yeah, and conscious yeah, yeah. right instead instead what it really is is we observe and we absorb a lot of our environment and whether we decide for it to be conscious or let's say um, memorable I, I think is a better word for conscious like as we're talking about versus subconscious than um, uh, uh, something you actually are working with like memorable is what we actually are dealing with here okay here's what I come back with you too. When you're young, maybe you're impressionable and someone says a comment to you that sticks. And maybe at the time you didn't know it knew it stick, but it shapes a lot of what's happens in the years past. Say someone says you have big years. Know what I mean? And all of a sudden for the next five, ten years, you're always like, oh my God, you know, you had that in the back of your head. Where where is this sticking? Is this not the subconscious? Or how is that so memorable? Or if someone says like you know, you have big feet or you look ugly or, you know, a lot of those little sticky comments that last with you, it can go on the opposite end too. Someone says, hey, you're a natural born leader when you're young. Then it's like, I am that leader. And, and you go on forth with it. So w- give me an idea with this. Like, what is that? So going back to the, let's say, basement brain and higher order brain, the basement brain also contains something called the um, hippocampus. And this is where... This is where a lot of the memories are formed, right? So we have what is sticking with you, and we believe that, like, the hippocampus has so many neurons packed into such a small space. It's an amazing, amazing area of research. When you're very young, your brain is growing. Your brain grows until you're 25 years old, but the most impressionable period of growth is, like, zero to five years old and then puberty so when you're observing and when you're absorbing all of this all of this parts where your brain is totally integrating and again we really don't know how the brain integrates everything but when like someone tells you hey man you have big ears what's probably being happening is it happened during a critical period of your life either a zero to five years old or b uh, you know 10 puberty right 10 to 15 years old which is why a lot of people have like remnants of puberty everyone says they hate high school because they remember a lot of it it's happening when that brain is growing and so it's being stored in the hippocampus and then what's happening is i might be influencing you later on but to say that this is a part of my subconscious like i'm sleeping and i have these crazy dreams about it the research is out on that not to say it doesn't exist like this is super freudian right like freud said you have all these hidden desires all these hidden dreams but really like that we have no idea. The research is totally out. Freud had very, very little evidence to support what he was saying. And at the end of the day, all we can really say is like, this is the structure of the brain. We know what areas are responsible for different uh, behavior, or not behavior, but have different responsibilities. 
And it's really difficult to say, oh, this has influenced me in this area of the brain in a different way. Instead, all we really should say is, hey, man, like hippocampus stores memories, prefrontal cortex, great for working memory, executive function, math, et cetera, all that great stuff. And and uh, to say that all this stuff is influencing you in tiny ways might be hurting you more than harming you. Solo tu, quest'amor puoi capire, gondolier, mi son tornata a ti, mia cara Venezia, e al ciaro della luna. Okay, that's all great and blah blah blah, but a lot of people suffer from those sticky comments or things that happened in, when they were younger or a traumatic event. So how... Can someone use this neuroscience to get over that, to live a more happy life and, and not worry about their big years? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think it, it sounds cliche, it sounds hard, but, or not sounds hard, but it's uh, esoteric, is, is mindfulness. The real answer is to understand that our daily thoughts don't necessarily govern who we are and that this one insecurity is simply an example of something you have zero control over. And that's one of the reasons I think religion works really well for some people. Like prayer is a great way to, and I'm not super religious, but like I'm going to get way more into this once Nick's asks me a couple questions, is prayer is an example of what can I control, what can I control? Hey, dear God, uh, you know, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this up to you or whatever. That is a great example. It happens in every religion, like Buddhism, all the... Letting go. Letting go. And so what that really is is mindfulness and understanding that, hey, this aspect of this thought that I have is fleeting, it's non-purposeful, and it has nothing truly to do with who I am. I always say this too. You got to realize the person that said that thing maybe was having a bad day didn't mean it, was making a joke, you took it the totally, completely wrong way. Maybe there's 999 other people that think you don't have big ears, but you're letting one person's opinion and one second of time make this big difference in your life. But the problem is you need to become aware of those comments or what happened earlier that makes you feel this certain way. It's the awareness. It goes back to the topic of awareness and, and figuring out kind of what makes you tick and, and why you are who you are. And I think that's really important to think about from a neuroscience perspective as well, like going back to what I was saying about brain imaging, et cetera, showing the difference between Tibetan and uh, uh, meditators and non-Tibetan meditators or whatever. Here's the thing. If something has no science behind it, but it makes you feel better, do it. Well, let's talk about placebo, how, how it is actually a real good thing. Yeah, like... There's a lot of studies out there about, like, antidepressants is the most popular. But they, in the 90s, like, a lot of antidepressants, when they told people they were actually taking an antidepressant, they did the same, uh, the placebo scores were the same as the regular scores. When they told people they were taking a sugar pill, way less, right? Like, that happens all the time. So, um, I don't want to over-exaggerate that. A lot of antidepressants work for very specific people. Now they're a lot better and they do a great job at helping with sleep regulation, etc. But regardless, there's this incredible power of the brain. The brain and like 
what you're doing. That being said, I really don't want to act like this positivity thing, like Nick is exaggerate or not Nick exaggerates, but Nick uh, uh, promotes this throughout the whole podcast as a power of positivity, etc. And it's difficult to look at that from a neuroscience perspective, but I think it's really important to look at it from a behavioral perspective. Affirmations, the behavioral um, science on affirmations is flimsy at best. Like a lot of people, like there was this one study where they looked at army cadets who did, well not necessarily affirmations, but went through a positive psychology program and those who did not. And the scores on the hardest test, like a 40% fail rate, it was like a 2.7 difference or 2.7% difference. That being said, for you, what matters is what best works best for you. And my friend, one of the best things I can recommend is an app by Sam Harris. It's called Waking Up. And he says this exact same thing. Meditating, it doesn't matter if there's any brain difference in meditators or not. What happens is it makes you more aware and you can see the differences for yourself. So it's important to decipher to uh, understand that nuance where even if it's not backed up totally by science, it's still really meaningful if it's powerful for you. Yeah, this is why I told you I like you. And my whole thing is perception is reality and, and creating, manifesting, getting out of the matrix. And you sent me an article on the train today about why, I mean, can we trust when scientists lie? That's my big thing. I don't know what to believe anymore. But guess what? I can't believe what I feel and what I see in my life. And that goes back to the perceptions, reality, the placebo, the, the manifesting. Tell me about this article that you sent me. Yeah, awesome. So one of the things like I'm really excited to talk about, like who gives a shit about neuroscience at the end of the day? It's like, oh, cerebral cortex. Great, Johnny. Fuck off. You know, <laughs> That's, oh, we don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> the important thing is like thinking about stuff and like what is actually working for certain people. And, and what isn't working. And I think we have a lot of our society of what is not working. I was thinking about this the other day. Sometimes I haven't done this in a while, but during the pandemic, you know, you're hanging out, you know, you're at your apartment, you're drinking by yourself, or you went out with a couple friends, but you can't see a lot of people. All the bars were closed in Washington, DC. So what I would do, what I used to do is I go on Omegle and, and I'm 20, I'm 25 years old. And I go on Omegle just to fucking talk to people, man, just to meet new people. And I run into these three kids and they tell me, they go, hey, man, hey, uh, ten, Venmo is 10 bucks. Venmo is 10 bucks, you know? And I say, why? Why am I Venmo you $10? And they go, just because, man, we need it or whatever. And I go, this is what you do. And I, I was like, you got to act like you have an investment opportunity, all this shit. And they go, oh, wow, why aren't you doing this? You know, because I was sounding pretty clean. I sounded pretty charismatic. I said, here's the thing. Once you realize that money isn't everything, you don't care about it as much. When you can actually look at your life and you say, money is not the most important part, then you move on to something else. And one of, I, I was watching House of Cards a little bit in the pandemic too, and like Frank uh, Underwood has this famous thing. He says, anyone who chooses money over power is a fool. And then I think power comes next, right? Like a lot of people search their whole lives for power and they're looking for some kind of way they can influence people, etc. how they can use people. And then I go one step further and I think the best way to live your life is to love. And I think you, it's not about power, it's not about money, it's not about living the best life you can have. It's about looking at someone else and say, hey, I'm gonna love you the most I can. This comes out really interesting in today's world where I think it, 
as cliche as it sounds, I'm trying to segue this the best that I could possible. And my next point is I think we're absent of a lot of love. And I think people find refuge in a lot of different things. People, the most popular is like money and power. But before that, like you can see people with tattoos, right? And they go, oh, I've got tattoos. That's my refuge. Or you can see people with um, alcohol, right? It's like, that's my new, that's my refuge. I'm going to, that's my safety net. I'm going to be a drinker. I'm going to be, you know, or any, any of those. And I think that's kind of old school. And the scariest thing to me, the, the scary thing to me today is social media. Because at least a tattoo is something. It's real. It's on your body. You can see it, whatever. But social media to me is nothing. You're looking at other people living a life that isn't real. And it's making it's 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 a refuge you look at people on fucking instagram i'm in venice i'm in venice right now looking at boats i'm having the greatest life of my life and i see people staring at their instagram are you kidding me like could you imagine a more beautiful view than what you're looking at and you're looking at your fucking instagram that's the new refuge and that's what's scary to me and so i also extend that and i'm getting to the article you mentioned here to twitter and people and Twitter's even scarier because people are finding refuge in strange ideas that don't exist. These things aren't real. Like the stuff you're reading on Twitter, it's meant to make you read it. It's meant to make you upset. It's meant to make you a little edgy. And then you read one and you read one. I highly recommend the Rabbit Hole podcast, done by the, done by the New York Times, but they do an amazing job at going through all this. If you read, the, if you watch the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix. It's good, but they don't go nearly in as much depth and statistics as Rabbit Hole does. And so you look on Twitter and people are literally getting brainwashed to the highest extent by what is happening on Twitter because they read one thing, all they do, they're all in their own confirmation bias bubbles. And so I read this tweet, read this article about how this has infiltrated my own world in medicine. And so there was this lecture done at the University of Pennsylvania, one of the hardest medical schools to get into in the world, UPenn, it's like 98.9 percentile MCAT average. I got 90th percentile MCAT. No fucking way I'm getting into Penn. And this, they gave this fucking lecture about how it was called um, the, uh, the evilness of the white mind or something. And this lady goes on and on how about she cut off all her white friends, how white people are evil or whatever. And say what you want about critical race, race theory. I don't want to get into that a ton. But I think that this is a product of the world that we have been born into where, going back to my original point, you have people taking refuge in things they should not be taking refuge in. Alcohol, tattoos, um, their style, their, you know, uh, sports, whatever. And then they take that next thing and they go, money, I'm going to make a bunch of money. And then they take the next thing and they go, oh, I'm going to have a bunch of influence. I'm going to get power. And then I think the highest level of that is just love. If you can love as many people as possible, that's the best refuge to take something in because it's a gift that always keeps on giving. And the problem with this is I think social media and Twitter and this world that's been created is the worst of all of it because it's so unreal. None of this exists. I'm looking at Venice right now. Twitter exists only on my phone, and I haven't looked at my phone for the past 24 hours. And yet everyone is so upset about the shit that they're reading, about this world that has been created for them to get upset about that does not exist. 
Mia cara Venezia E al charo della luna Prometto alla laguna Di rimanere con te E non lasciarti più Mia cara Venezia <laughs> 